The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Good Morning New York. It is my pleasure to be here with all of you. I am your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live from Blastoff Studios in Times Square here in New York. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everyone. Uh, Cinco de Mayo is Spanish for the 5th of May, and it is a celebration held on this day, and it's celebrated here in the United States and in Mexico. All Mexican-Americans uh, see this as a day, um, as a source of their pride, and once they can, and one day they can honor their ethnicity on the 5th of this month in the United States. Cinco de Mayo was sometimes mistaken to be Mexico's Independence Day, the most important national holiday in Mexico, but that day is celebrated in September on the 16th. So let's get to it this morning. My guest today is Nick Kolitas. Later, I will have my panel of agents here to discuss hot topics. Nick is a magazine publisher, multimedia producer, and media consultant based out of New York City. He has 17 years of experience marketing luxury listings and agents in the New York metropolitan area. He is the only publisher in Manhattan with hands-on experience in both New York City and the many communities that branch off it. Throughout the years, he's guided top publications on Long Island, the Hudson Valley, which I didn't know, and Manhattan, and has done business in Connecticut, New Jersey, and in the Hamptons. Mm -hmm. Most recently, Nick co-founded the first successful independent listing magazine in Manhattan called Residency New York and has now spearheaded the resurrection of Metropolitan Magazine. First edition was out last month, and it's a beauty. Nick has produced terrestrial radio content for WNEW-FM and WNBC-AM and also internet radio content. He is a publisher, a writer, a professional songwriter, and musician. Good morning. Um, good morning, and thank you for that introduction. That, where, that is, where, but so where do I begin with all that? My God. I think you have to begin at WNBC. <laughs> Okay, let's do it. <laughs> well, hold on, hold it, hold the thought yeah, there. So, look, I want to go. I want to mm-hmm. go to the, the the veteran recording artist, okay? Because that's one of the things that kind of mm-hmm. struck my fancy the All other right. day. Songwriter and producer, give us a little bit about your background in the music industry. We're in a music studio here, mm-hmm. so of course, uh, it's all it's all apropos. Um, I've been doing that since uh, as far back as I can remember. Um, and I decided when I was a young teenager, I wanted to be a professional uh, recording artist. That's kind of all I really wanted to do. Not, not famous per se, just, I just wanted that industry. I identified with those people and, um, worked really hard, hard on it for a very long time. I recorded for a bunch of years. Um, I took production classes with George Martin, the Beatles producer and all sorts of amazing people. And, uh, um, basically as soon as I was kind of ready to go in that regard, um, the industry collapsed, which, uh, to me, um, it was a bit of a blessing disguise, which is wonderful because much like, um, the ever-changing real estate market, I find markets really don't collapse 
they change. And um, if you can think outside the box, you can always find a way in. And sometimes when something is a bit scattered, that's the perfect time to really uh, go forward in the market. So I actually still work in the music field. I just don't do it for uh, revenue. I do it for uh, to uh, increase my brand um, from, from a business perspective and also from a creative perspective. If you're an artist, it comes out regardless. So I, I, I like what you say. Collapse mm-hmm. uh, is really changed yes. because I, mm-hmm. I see the same thing in, in New York mm-hmm. real estate. I don't right. think we collapse ever. Maybe unlike a lot of the rest of the, the mm-hmm. world or the nation, sure. but we change from time to time. Exactly. And that's what we call market changes. Exactly. All right. So your your work though in music uh, as an artist mm-hmm. uh, includes a 2011 rock concept album that received nationwide radio play, an assortment of singles, and you have a new album coming out in 2015. What is that album going to be? <laughs> that's a really good question. I think the definition of what an album is is very different at this point right um and um anything that i put out going forward i'm not going to charge for so an album really is almost a promotional tool um allowing people to kind of share in any of the art that i do it's almost like the magazine is free if for a consumer because you really don't want to inhibit or create any sort of interference between your art and your message and the consumer base so it's very similar concept honestly and when i think about publishing it or think about a magazine, it is almost like putting on a show or putting on a record or anything like that where you are trying to entertain the audience, but there's also a whole secondary uh, grouping of people that you're trying to please as well. And um, everything really kind of comes together with the same kind of theology behind it. So the record itself, I'm recording a PPI recording in the village, this wonderful engineer that used to dr- a drum for James Brown. When the industry quote unquote collapsed, he used to have a um, couple of floors in Midtown Beautiful recording studio. Now he's got a room um, in Soho, but it, it's a really good room. <laughs> and all of the – he's got the Rolodex of all the guys that have been on hit records for years. I was going to say, so really good room. How do you define really good room? Um, having, Go ahead. Having a professional um, engineer actually design it. Gotcha. Having people come in to really look at the acoustics, the ceilings, the floors, make it so it's an actual good sounding feeling room, not just a vocal booth and there are not too many places in the city that have a piano like the room i'm in right now this this wonderful studio as well um and i really i just love working with musicians and love working with people and that whatever i do put out is going to reflect reflect exactly that have you produced or contributed songs to any famous artists that we may know about or i've worked with um quite a few and my my team has worked with a bunch as well so um, uh, one thing that I've coming up that I really am um, looking forward to is uh, there's a group called Zero Seven I really love that I'm going to be doing some stuff with. And uh, my team, they've done um, – they start, actually started with John Lennon's Double Fantasy album, mm. George Small, wonderful piano player, um, uh, the Mamas and Papas <coughs> going back through the 60s. So you know, it's really um, – I never think of it as just me. It's a group, group of people that get together and have contributed to a lot of different things. Collaborative effort. All right, so let's exactly. go. Let's go back to WNBC. <laughs> you attribute that to your start. Tell us about WNBC. I was I was half uh, I wasn't kidding about the experience, but I was half kidding about NBC. Um, just because it's funny um, when Howard Stern's movie Private Parts came out years ago, uh, he had this uh, scene where he I don't know if you're familiar or anyone listening is familiar, but he's a scene where he's sitting across from this producer, I guess the station manager at the time of NBC, and they're going over how do you say the call letters. And Howard Stern said, well, WNBC. And the guy goes, no, it's WNBC. You got to do that thing with the N. And the funny thing is I remember being tortured as a teenager 
I was interning there with them repeatedly making me say, say it over and over and over again, almost the same thing. So it's funny. I'm just visualizing all these people going through that station with sitting down in that same seat Stern was in and having to overemphasize the end until you just, your, your teeth were falling out. <laughs> uh, and that's when I learned that I loved radio. Radio was a cool medium. Yeah. I, I, I mm-hmm. found that I, I love it too. But isn't that WNBC AM where Stern worked for many years? Mm-hmm. But isn't that the isn't that the traditional radio network that he got fired from and that propelled him into Sirius? I think where he is um, in XM. It was before uh, K Rock, actually. Before K Rock. Yeah, that oh, okay. Don Imus yeah. was in the morning exactly. and then Stern, and yeah, it, yeah. it was an interesting little lineup of crazy people. But <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And radio is radio was fun, as I said. I enjoyed it sure. as well. So tell us about the weekly radio show that you produced with actors Willie Ames, Susan Olson, and Jennifer Runyon. It's called Fluid. My buddies. My buddies. I love those guys. I, um, listen, I grew up watching Willie Ames on Eight is Enough, I think it was. Eight is Enough, Charles in Charge. Charles in Charge, yeah. and, and, You know what? Will, Willie Ames, uh, I kind of poke fun at him. He's he's kind of the uh, Dosecki's man um, in, in a way. He is – he's the most interesting human being I've ever met in my entire life. The guy um, – the guy's had so many lives and so many different careers. I mean mm-hmm. he's gone – um, to such extremes where he's been, um, he's dropped everything to become this um, fanatic religious um, pioneer. He had some character called Bible Man. He was all over the uh, all over the internet with it, and then turned around and did a complete one eighty and became William Ames again. You know, and and now has very drastically different opinions. Like he was sitting around, he told me a story about how he was sitting with people very high up within that organization, and. Um, he had convinced himself that this was kind of his new calling until they said some derogatory things about um, about people um, about a lot of different types of people that he grew up kind of being friendly with, and all of a sudden it just kind of occurred to him, well, wait a minute, this is not me, and he just walked away from the entire thing. He's been dead broke. He's been a multimillionaire. He's He's reinvented himself over and over again. Fa- fascinating guy. So I teamed him with uh, Susan Olsen, who is Cindy Brady in The Brady Bunch, who is also unusually brilliant in her own way. She's very unique. And uh, Jennifer Runyon, um, who everyone would know her face. People might not remember her name, but she was in a bunch of uh, shows and movies in the 80s. I um, remember her well. Mo- most famously in Ghostbusters in that beginning scene with Bill Murray where he's got those uh, – he's trying to practice ESP um, on these two college students really trying to get a date with the girl. So, <laughs> so he's playing with the two of them and Jennifer is the girl in that little – that scene. So we do a show every Tuesday night. It's live um, called Fluid, uh, which is an acronym – for something I really can't say on your show. Um, Willie thought that up, so thank you, Willie. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, not a pop culture show. It's almost kind of like if you imagine almost a Bill Maher kind of a setup where he, we bring in guests. Sometimes the guests are pop culture connected, but that's not what we talk about. So we've had – And all three of them are on hosting at the same time? Yes. Okay. Yes. So who, who have been some of your guests? Um, well, of course – with the connections to the Brady Bunch, there's been, has been Christopher Knight and, and a whole bunch of these uh, different Bradys as well. But we've done um, – uh, Nicole Eggert was a guest and she might get involved in some stuff going forward. We've had – we're going to have Barbara Felden on just uh, in a little bit. My, Barbara uh, Felden. My, my, uh, one of my get wonderful smart. writers. Yeah, Get Smart. Agent 99, now, now writer for Metropolitan. Agent 99. That's a, oh, really? Yeah. Well, she's got an article in there that she wrote. I didn't know that. Yeah, of course. Oh, she's wonderful. Isn't that something? Oh, she's, I, I, if you remember later for this time, I'm going to tell you the story about walking you in to her You'll have to bring her, her on the show here to talk oh, about that. That would she, be great. She's amazing. She's everything you'd ever want. Okay. Oh, God. Um, yeah. So uh, we've uh, – God. Um, 
Who else? We've had Caprice Crane, who I really love, who's the daughter of Tina Louise, who's a wonderful writer. Um, she's a screenplay writer. In Is this Los an Angeles. hour show? It's an hour show. Um, and, and where can we find it? Um, variety of places. It's fluidtalkradio.com um, is the website for it. Um, you, there's also a Facebook page, which is Fluid Talk. Okay. Um, and you can interact with them directly. Um, they're not just uh, the stars of the show, but they're actually um, – they interact with it. They, we, and we're try, we try to run WBAR, which is the network, together. Uh, actually, me and Willie kind of team, team on it. So there's also Metrocasts, which are connected to the magazine where I've talked to Barbara Corcoran, Elizabeth Stribling. Um, um, what did we do? We did um, – um, uh, Kareem uh, Rashad, Rashad yes. yeah, exactly. He was, just, on, he was on my show a couple of months oh, ago. It's yeah. wonderful. He's wonderful. fantastic. Um, there's been quite a few, and we're going to continuously do them. Actually, um, hopefully yourself as well, because you're you're quite the interesting uh, guy as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm being told lately. All right, listen, yeah, we have to take course. a break. But sure. first, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at bluerealtygroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. We're talking to Nick Kalitas. Uh, and his varied career starting in music and we're progressing through now his medium uh, of uh, magazine writing, et cetera. But also one more, one more thing about radio. You host Metrocast, a one-on-one mm -hmm. discussion with prominent media, pers media personalities. Tell us mm -hmm. what that is about. Um, I love that. Is that um, a podcast? Yeah, it's a podcast, but also we include a feature in the magazine that goes along with it. So in, in other words, instead of doing, a, let's say, a feature on somebody that I might want to cover, what we do is we do a Metrocast, which we actually talk to them and mm -hmm. we get into all sorts of stuff. We try not to make it um, a career retrospective um, as much as it is um, finding people that think differently and getting into how they think and how they've applied that to be successful. And, and uh, what we hope to, to get out of it um, and what's happened with, let's say, the Barbara Corcoran piece is a lot of people that connect with her that don't have the success yet really take it and listen to it again and again because it's kind of like this kind of free form back and forth. And, and again, you know as well as I do with the podcast medium, you get to kind of say almost whatever you'd like. So there's no restrictions. You're getting these people unedited, uncensored. It's wonderful. And so what I do then as well is, is then I have a writer listen to the 
the podcast and then create the feature for the magazine. Gotcha. So they get the magazine feature, but then there's more. So you can go into the book. Whenever you see a little apple, it means there's a connecting radio show. You go in and you can listen to not only the feature, but we always get into some different things as well. So it's kind of a nice compliment. So are the personalities that you, you um, talk to on mm-hmm. this podcast, are they in, is it industry specific or is it just anyone who's prominent out there um, you know, leading the charge of doing whatever? Um, it's anybody that's prominent um, with a focus on the industry. So the industry is always going to take precedent, but not everybody in the industry because some people are mechanical. They're very successful, but they don't, they don't think outside the box. They're just very good at doing it the conventional way. Gotcha. There's not much um, appeal um, in the way of, um, let's say, uh, stepping out of the industry. Let's say for somebody like yourself – I think you don't have to be in real estate to appreciate what you're doing because the same – the concepts that you've put into your business apply across the board. Correct. So that's – I just want to find people with more universal appeal and incorporate them. And people who are doing things that are a little outside of the box as you said earlier right. and, and mm-hmm. who are a little unique because a lot of us mm-hmm. do the same things. But mm-hmm. certain people you know, rise above mm-hmm. uh, in certain areas. All right. So you're the founder of Metropolitan Magazine here mm-hmm. in New York City. Uh, I was re- recently featured in, a, in an ad in that magazine. You know, you started before that with Residency New York, which also right. was very popular. So how is the new magazine doing uh, Metro New York in the industry right now? Um, is it catching on? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's been wonderful, but it's, it's a bit unfair because the um, – it's unfair to, to almost refer to it as new. I mean, I'd love to say it's new and I, it was wonderful. but It's but a it, resurgence actually. Yeah, it kind of – it was momentum that already started a few years ago. And I'm actually really proud of the way we started residency as well because residency, we started with um, no funding. We just came into to the city with a plan and it sold itself, issue one. So we never lost a penny off the magazine. And it's a great just, magazine. I, I appreciate it. You know, we had a, a long-term plan and the final phase of the plan was basically what you're looking at now with Metropolitan where it uh, combines um, luxury lifestyle and, of course, that word luxury is a very funny word. But, um, but it, the uh, – let's say evolved li- lifestyle with the listings and – do it in a way where it's not like if you look at a lot of other magazines, which I'm not going to name any specifically, but it's just a cavalcade of ads and you're digging for the features. And I can't tell you, tell you the amount of times I've picked up a magazine wanting to read a feature and got frustrated and stopped before I found it because you just don't know where it is. So I wanted to create something where the consumer experience would be um, – would be uh, they'd appreciate the magazine, be able to get everything out of it, give it a longer shelf life and give extra value to anybody that's in it. Let's talk a little bit about the luxury. So Metropolitan okay. Magazine is a real estate, you know, luxury yes. magazine mm-hmm. here of in New course. York City, uh, as as is residence in New York. Mm-hmm. And you know, the 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 word today in this town here mm-hmm. in New York is the Uber wealthy, right. is the luxury marketplace. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you you know, how do you what do you look for mm-hmm. each month or in each edition to get your magazine, which I believe is mm-hmm. very much in the luxury I area? Appreciate it. Out there, what what kind of stories are you looking for? I mean, who, are you profiling people? Are you looking at you know top listing uh, apartments, forty million, twenty million? I mean, what is the the focus of the? Magazine? Well, you know, there are magazines that cover that stuff. Um, and I, I don't try to be repetitive, but I also don't try to be different on purpose. Basically, the idea is um, I try to be entertaining. I, it's just a very very clear idea. So I know who my demographic is. Obviously, the demographic has a wide variety of people within it. And I try to be entertaining to the people that are looking at the magazine. So they have places to go for, the, you know, a, a laundry list of the best apartments over $40 million. You know, it's, you know, I, I try to bring them something different. Let's say if you're an entrepreneur, um, that you have a, a certain um, 
income level. So you have this certain lifestyle you live, but what are you interested in organically? You'd be interested in other entrepreneurs and how they got success, how they dealt with their own uniqueness, how they dealt with their own insecurities, how they, um, anything like that, or to look at, to read a theater article, article like Barbara Feldon's. And, and it's more, it's not about how great the theater was in the past. It's about the experience of being the performer, being the audience, which honestly, every agent is, is basically that. They're kind of an actor in their own way. That's why the million-dollar listing concept works so well. Correct. Because in a way, that's, it's, you can learn a lesson from that. And so that's what I try to look to do. All of the editorial content is we don't do any advertorials. So everything is legitimate in the magazine, which means that uh, we can not put certain things in if we really want to. And right. it allows us to really kind of put on a varied show that has different styles and different rhythms through it. And there's, everything is in that book for a reason. We have a strategic reason for everything. And so far, it's been working really well. The consumer really has been eating it up. The agents seem to really like it. And um, Anything uh, surprising coming out in edition two? Oh, God. Well, the, the challenge with, with edition two is we actually had a lot of uh, extra content from some of the people that were big names in issue one. I didn't want it to make it look like the same issue. So like, how do you hide Barbara Corcoran in a magazine? She's such a big name. You right. know? Um, there are actually a few interesting names – uh, that I've been working on for this issue and the next issue, some of which I'll kind of keep in my back pocket. But um, I always love to stick a little a ce- little celebrity sizzle in there. But um, I'm strained with who I consider to be celebrity. So I, I kind of find that to be a fun part of the book. I don't really try to stop my personality from coming out. Celebrity is a very interesting word. Uh-huh. And we can define it in many different ways for mm-hmm. sure. All right, listen, right off of your IMDB page, oh, I found some out. of these things really interesting. <laughs> oh, no. You spend some time as a radio personality doing character voices mm-hmm. for a popular FM radio station in New York City. <laughs> right, we already kind of touched on that. Yeah. You frequently I'm appeared as yourself on MTV, VH1, and Lifetime Television in clip shows and other Gen X targeted programming. Uh-huh. What did you do with that? Um, well, you know, it's a, there's a rule when you're 18, you have to be stupid. And so I definitely. I like to follow rules, so um, I was stupid. Um, basically, uh, I'll give you a real quick story that will define the entire thing, really. I did a show on Lifetime television uh, called Late Date with Sari. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I'm about I mean, 19, something like that. So they show up at my house in a limousine, and I had talked up poor sap friend of mine, this poor guy, uh, into coming with me. I said, I just, I need a little company. Come with me. So shows up, hasn't showered, you know, big, the, the beard thing is going on and he's, he's in this limo and we're in this limo together when there's alcohol and there's women and there's all sorts of stuff in this limousine. And we're, you know, kind of sloshed by the time we get to the studio in Manhattan and we get out, we walk in, there's a green room and there's more alcohol. And there's three other guys, and they have already tied one on. So all of us stagger into this room. Apparently, my friend is my friends on the show too. All of a sudden, so now he's looking at me like I'm going to kill you when we get home. They they seat us in the table and they start sticking cameras on us. And all I can think to myself because this show, the idea was it was a sex therapist, and she was going to talk to young men about their what they like to do. And and I'm thinking to myself, oh no, I'm a little bit. I'm a little drunk right now, and this is not good because there's a camera looking at me, and I'll see a little red light. So I was thinking to myself, all right, be very short and clipped with your words. Don't say anything stupid because I was watching these men around me just make fools of themselves. I'm thinking, oh, God. So she looks at me, and she starts some sort of a dialogue about um, sexuality. And I say something along the lines of a sentence starting with, well, conventionally, everyone thinks, you know, oh, men love breasts. You know, men love breasts. And then I keep – to keep talking. 
So at the end of the show, I'm thinking, all right, I got through it. So next thing I know, Lifetime Television over the next uh, <laughs> the next several months has a commercial for the show, and it's my big fat face on the screen with. <laughs> Men love breasts. Boom, <laughs> cut. And there That's I was. Incredible. Oh my god! In college, I got received so much hazing for that. It was that was just awful, awful, can, awful. Yeah, yeah. College, well, nineteen college. I can understand that. Here's <laughs> exactly. another one off yeah, of the please. IMDb page. Your uh-huh. mother was a Broadway performer in the '60s. Mm-hmm. What did she do? My mother was in Bye Bye Birdie um, and a couple Chorus of plays, or, or or you know, a featured roles. Um, I believe she was a featured role. Uh, I, you know, um, she actually stopped that because she decided to walk into a local coffee shop and the um, figured she'd piss off my mother by getting on with a fry cook. And uh, they're still together. <laughs> and, and, and here's one that, that really got my attention. You are a distant cousin of Barbara Streisand. Uh, apparently. apparently. How, how distant is, is distant? Well, uh, I, I could sing memory for you, but I don't think it would sound the same. So that, it's that distant. <laughs> I can too, but I'm not going to go, go there. All right, listen. So you are on the executive uh-huh. board of directors for the United Artists Foundation. UAF is a philanthropic organization geared mm-hmm. toward the promotion of arts in schools across the country. Tell us a little bit about your involvement. This is unbelievable. Uh, well, I do. Um, it's a good thing. I, I try to be involved in a lot of charitable things um, in general because I think it's good for the good for the soul, honestly. And um, I mean – the, the, of course, it's a networking tool that people use constantly to be involved in stuff, but it's, it's, it actually feels good. And that's the primary reason why we do anything like that. Um, this particular organization, um, uh, we were a lot heavier with it a few couple of years ago, but it was founded by um, uh, Heidi Twitchell, um, who used to be a child actor years ago. And she became a teacher. And it's kind of that story that anyone that knows a teacher knows the story about how you get into the classroom and you're thinking that you're going to be, you know, you're going to help kids just go through the years and you'll be that one teacher that makes a difference. And when you get there, you realize that you have a curriculum that's defined for you and you don't really agree with it. And then the kids are running wild and everything's about avoiding lawsuits. And next thing you know, you're not a teacher anymore and you're frustrated and kids are left not being able to get the education that they really need. And so that's something that always resonated with me because I always felt that way in school too, that school was this uh, little box that they create for you unless you're, you fit into this, this, kind of certain type of um, certain kind of brain that can deal with those kind of tests and the exams and everything else, they kind of almost put you aside and figure, well, you you just figure it out. So there's all these people that kind of think outside the box that basically half of them are slackers, half of them are are successful when you get into life because you're figuring, figuring things out for yourself. So even if you have a teacher that could help you, they're not really allowed to. And it seems like it's just getting worse and worse for kids. What are your thoughts on social media and, and the impact it's having on all of our lives today? Obviously, in your business, mm-hmm. it makes a difference sure. as it does in our business. Mm-hmm. But you know, what, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, not too many years ago, mm-hmm. and I mean four or five years right, ago, of it really didn't exist. Sure. Now, all of a sudden, you can't live without it. I think what, people what? misuse it. Um, I'd say um, it's a tool like anything else. And I think that when a new tool comes out, a lot of people um, brand themselves with it to – make themselves either think for themselves or make other people feel like they're edgy or they're um, up-to-date, cutting-edge. And really, to me, cutting-edge is understanding every tool that's out there and then utilizing it in a way that makes some sense. If you have a plan, I don't care what tool you use, that's fine. That's cutting-edge to me because that's the one thing people very often don't do. Uh, So for me, social media is is a wonderful tool, but some people post too much. Some people don't realize that it's that that's your online resume. It's not the piece of paper you give out. Absolutely. It's what you put out there. Some people can destroy their image and not realize it because all your idiosyncrasies come out in social media. So you really have to kind of filter it, almost be your own um, 
your own manager, so to speak. And you have to know what the audience is, what demographic is looking at every, every type of social media. What are they looking for? And every demographic, um, and of course the, there are individuals that are different within them, but every demographic really um, looks at you and looks at your accomplishments and your personality in a very different way. So you, what might work on Facebook that will not work on Twitter and won't work on Instagram. So you have to kind of have an understanding of it. I agree. We have about a little less than a minute left. Oh, okay. I wanted to ask you one last question. Sure, Do you consider yourself a successful man? <laughs> um, you know what? I consider myself a work in progress. And I don't I, – I personally probably not. I do too. That's yeah. a great answer. It's unbelievable because if you say you're successful mm. or if you say you've finished or you've done everything you wanted to do, you know, what is next? There's nothing else to do at the top of the mountain but jump off. <laughs> Just get, you know, you want, to, you want to climb a mountain that's a little too big for you. You said it. I can't believe mm. you said that. That's perfectly right on. Nick, thank yes. you so much for coming oh, here today. Pleasure, we course. appreciate having you. you. Come back and see us again. Okay. We are going to break, but we will be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back, and I want to say uh, once again thanks to Nick Kalidas for coming here today, editor, publisher of Metropolitan Magazine here in New York City. All right, for as long as developers have been building apartment houses in New York City, they have been giving these buildings names, sometimes a historic reference, sometimes a lofty aspiration, and sometimes just a developer's own name. The concept of naming buildings dates back to um, – one of the first buildings, uh, first apartment houses rather, called Stuyvesant, which opened in 1869. It was named for Peter Stuyvesant, who once owned the land where the building was erected at 142 East 18th Street, and for his descendant, Rutherford Stuyvesant, who commissioned the building. Elizabeth Hawes, in her 1993 book, New York, New York, How the Apartment House Transformed the Life of the City – from 1869 to 1930, says that in 1884, the elegant Dakota, one of my favorite buildings of all time, was named for its far-flung location on West 72nd Street when residing on the Upper West Side was said to be akin to living in Indian territory, which, as we know, back then was North and South Dakota. I have a very dear friend. My best friend's pa- uh, family lives in that building, Dakota. He actually grew up there, so I've been there many times. It is really, if you, have no, if you want to see a real mm-hmm. New York... 
vintage building and apartment. Wow, that place still takes my breath away. Until around the early 1900s, Hell's Kitchen was considered a dangerous place to live. It was like the wild, wild west, says Kathleen Treat, the chairwoman of the Hell's Kitchen Neighborhood Association, citing the crime that was very prevalent for decades there. Hell's Kitchen historically defined as stretching from 8th Avenue to the Hudson River and roughly from 34th to 59th Street has been undergoing rapid gentrification in recent years. New buildings are going up. Older ones are being converted to high-end residences. The development of Hudson Yards and the High Line just to its south and the addition of the Time Warner Center on its northeast border years ago have spurred the growth. Prices have gone up, but we are generally still lower than in uh, surrounding neighborhoods. Hell, <clears throat> excuse me, Hell's Kitchen, sometimes called Clinton or Midtown West, is surrounded on the south by Chelsea, on the east by the Gorman District and the Theater District, and on the north by Lincoln Square. According to the New York Times, renters are staying put. We talked about this recently on the show. High rents and more affordable mortgages are not persuading renters to buy. This according to a new study. Data from the Real Estate Investment Trust, or REITs as we call them, found that just 14.7% of tenants who moved out in the fourth quarter of 2014 did so to buy a home. The rate has been in the 14% range since 2012 and just hasn't really moved. There is not a lot of affordable housing options for first-time buyers in New York City, so unless you really want to move far out into the suburbs, you can't buy. The supply and pricing for first-time buyers is just not there. A sprawling duplex apartment on the Upper East Side in a sought-after pre-war condominium conversion sold for $18.5 million and was the most expensive sale closed last week. This according to City Records. The 7,500-square-foot residence on the 9th and 10th floors at 28 East 70th Street near Madison Avenue was purchased by Isaac E. Ash. Mr. Ash is the founder and chief executive of the United Legwear and Apparel Company, a manufacturer and distributor of undergarments and legwear based in Manhattan. Wow, who knew? Underwear man. Underwear man, $18.5 million. That's so interesting because he's local. He's not from out of the country. Well, I was going to ask you, you guys that in a minute. more and more. Well, well, and that's not a bad thing. Yes. So for those interested in that apartment sale, the monthly carrying cost for the 17-room apartment, which has eight bedrooms and eight bathrooms, sit down for this one, $28,645 wow. Good for per him. month in maintenance. Good for him. Isn't that yeah. something? Wow, we. All right. So joining me today is Rachel Altschiller, Niall Lundgren, Phil Horrigan, Ivy Ray, and Deborah Hoffman. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Wow. <laughs> Good morning is right. Vince, how was your weekend? My weekend was fine, thank you. Restful. Didn't work. Well, a little bit. But no open houses. Just wow. Nice. Weather was so like Let you go outside yeah. with your baby. That's a first for me is right. Uh, I did go outside <laughs> several times in the park with yeah. the little one. Um, you know, once in a while you got to kind of unplug and just, you know, do, do your thing. But... Um, Central Park was, was a zoo. This this was like this was the weekend. Like, I yeah. was over in the yeah. other park in Riverside Park, okay. which is a little less it. zooey. Yeah. and I like the water, so I feel like I'm I'm living on the water. You know, sort yeah. of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. And yeah. Jet likes that park over there because I could really let her run and without even watching in Central Park. Off leash, I think before nine o'clock in the morning. But that place is just too big. It's if different. she decides yeah. to it's wander. A I'm in big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she's a wanderer, you know, a little Jack Russell Terrier. She goes she around is. and around and around. And around. Oh, <laughs> she does that inside the house. Deborah's singing, because <laughs> I'm a wanderer. <laughs> okay. Okay, so let's, let's get started. The rich are different, and so are their comps. 
just take Fifth Avenue and Park Avenue. I mean, this is an interesting subject. The two <clears throat> Tony thoroughfares between East 59th Street and East 96th Street share much in common. Large apartments and architecturally striking doorman buildings with socially prominent neighbors on leafy Upper East Side streets. Yes, Fifth Avenue units are almost always more expensive, a premium that can be explained by their proximity to Central Park, of course. But for the last decade, the difference in prices from Park Avenue and Fifth Avenue has varied widely year to year from as little as 8% to as much as 38%. Why is that? When When I just said the Fifth Avenue apartments tend to be more expensive because of it literally the buildings being literally on the park, but why sometimes does Park Avenue scoop that pricing and then it drops back again and then comes back I into think the fold? Th- this is where like the statistics nerd in me comes into play, and, we love and, that. and instead of yeah, instead of like kind of my real estate hat, I put my statistics I hat on. I rely on that. Because, thank you, thank you, yes. thank you. Because uh, the sample size for these large apartments is a lot smaller, so there's going to be big var- you know big variations from year to year. You know, sometimes it's eight percent difference, sometimes it's a larger percent difference. So I just think it's like what the, what happens to sell that year, you know, but. I do think it's true that Fifth Avenue overall is going to get a little bit more valuation, but I do think it, it just depends. You know, I mean, these are, there's not that many apartments that are going to sell. You know, when you look at the entire city, you have a big sample size. But if you're just looking at Fifth Avenue and, and Madison or Park Avenue, it's a lot smaller, so there's going to be a lot more variations. Let, let, just uh, just let, let me let's clarify for the listening audience mm-hmm. around the world who doesn't necessarily understand what we say Fifth Avenue is, Park Avenue is. Central Park is. Now, we all know as agents here in the city that not every apartment on a, in a Fifth Avenue building faces the park. So does that have any, any you know, relevance when it comes to or, or impact when it comes to pricing, you Absolutely. know, between the two? Of course yeah, it does. But a lot of this we have to go back into history and I always bring up the history as – as statistician, men. that's historian. right. We all have that. our thing, and I'm, I was so thrilled to hear the statistics because I really can't speak to what's going on right now. But historically, most people know that Manhattan started all the way down in the Wall Street area and crept up very slowly, and they crept. The city crept up the east side, and it crept up on Fifth Avenue when the millionaires of the late 1800s, early 1900s, built their mansions Mm. along Fifth Avenue, starting in the Flatiron District. At that time, Park Avenue was an open railroad ditch, Mm -hmm. Mm. which actually, and remember, these were not electric trains. These were trains that uh, burnt coal. It was smoky. It was disgusting. Park Avenue was not large apartment buildings. It was row houses for workers. It was nothing really exciting. That's right. Yeah. Oh, continue. So continue. Park Avenue did not become a fancy schmancy place until they covered over Park Avenue, planted the medians. Metro North runs underneath now. What right. I was going to say so is most people don't realize that yeah. Metro so North is underneath when did this all begin of Park to Avenue. Do you know? My son knows I used this, to. These stats. Yes, or, or it really is the early. It's when 1910, 1920. It's right, right around that time, yeah. and that's when. Fascinating. What's so interesting also, and I took a great continuing education class on this, was most of the apartment buildings on Park Avenue were built as things that we no longer have, classic eights and classic nines. Well, absolutely. Because they were large family apartments. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until the Depression that the landlords – and remember, nobody was buying in those days. These were all rental buildings. The landlords – cut up many of the apartments because people couldn't afford the large apartments with servants anymore during the Depression. Right. So they still had to make their buildings run. They had to make a buck. So they cut them up. 
But at that time, more middle-class families started moving in. It was more affordable. So even today, you will see many more buildings and apartments on Park Avenue that have strange rooms, funny angles than you will see on Fifth. Correct. Fifth is a very different flavor. You know, it's interesting, Deborah, what you say that uh, Park Avenue is literally built over the Metro North rail lines. I was selling a building a bunch of years ago, the 505 West 47th Street, which is, you know, my claim to to real estate um, and development fame. I never seem to leave that building. But anyway, that building was put over the Amtrak rail lines. And when I first went to the site with the developers, I looked down and saw you know, a big hole, but with tracks and running trains. And so when I started selling that building, I'd say to the developers, how the hell am I ever going to sell this building? People are going to say, but there's a train running underneath, whatever. So I started doing some research. I remember the stories about the, you know, the Park Avenue and the rails underneath. And I would say to everybody who had a concern about the Amtrak trains under this new building, I'd say, no one on Park Avenue has complained about <laughs> trains running under Park Avenue. Everybody's living on Park Avenue for all the geography. That's blah, why blah, Vince blah. is who well, he is. That's right? how you handle well, an, part adjust- of the an objection. It's also because the trains run oh, in yeah. the middle of Park Avenue. They're Correct. not under the buildings. Whereas if we go over to Central Park the same West. With, the same with this. They, they designed it under the middle so you right. really didn't get the feeling. You don't feel the vibrations or the noise. And, and I would say to the people back to the 505, listen, this is 2007 or 2008. These, these caps over the rail lines are acoustically. And, and and better engineered than the days yeah. of Park Avenue, right? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. no one on Park Avenue is complaining. Uh, I thought it was a funny story. And I got probably nine out of ten people when I used to tell them that well story. Said, Although it is I'm a little notes. different on Central Park West, <laughs> which runs above the subway. Because I have had many, many uh, – Buyers over the years who say, yes, I will live on Central Park 100%, West, the but not on the first C. floor mm-hmm. because I have visited my doctors on the first floor. There are many doctor's offices all along Central Park West on the first floor. And depending on the building, not every building, but mm-hmm. a few buildings, you do feel the vibration on the first floor. 15 CPW, second floor. I went to talk to an owner, I don't know, two years ago, and I'm sitting in the living room and I'm, I'm feeling no. a little bit 15 CPW. Okay? Really? Wow. Okay, yeah. so a great segue because now we're moving on the other side of the park. <laughs> on the other side of Central Park and Fifth Avenue, Argo Real Estate's plan to redevelop a 16-story luxury condo building at 360 Central Park West are moving ahead with rendering and further details for the project have been revealed. Work has begun at the 146-unit rental property located at the corner of CPW and 96th Street on the Upper West Side after the developer filed alteration permits with the Department of Buildings last fall, which he's um, supposed to do. So my question there is, how does the west side of the park compare to the east side of the park? What is the – What is the? Phil is laughing. What is the, the <laughs> difference between Central Park West, which to me is my favorite boulevard, and Fifth Avenue and Park Avenue clear across the park? Well, it depends on where you are, right? It so depends on where you are in terms mm-hmm. of number streets for me. It's a completely different vibe. It's a completely different right. customer. There's completely different units. And you're but either Central a east side or a west side. West, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you get further up, I think. Go ahead. Phil is no, dying no, no, to no. talk. No, I'm not. No, I'm not at all. I'm listening earnestly. Yeah. Well, I'm just, you know, it's it, for those that don't live in New York or haven't really been here or spent any time here, there is such a huge difference between uptown and downtown, between east and west. And then when you get upper on the east and the west. It's a completely different thing. So the the redevelopment and the gentrification on both sides of the park in pockets is so different all over the place. I agree with you, Abby, but one would say, or does one say rather, again, for the listening audience around the world who's not familiar with these major boulevards, as I call them, in New York City, luxurious boulevards, 
It's still Central Park West. It's still Fifth Avenue. It's still, you know, Park Avenue. Whether you're in the 90s or whether you're in the 70s, I mean, isn't it still the same kind of yeah, feeling? It's just, no, it's so different. It, it is different, West. but actually, let's go back <laughs> to history asking. again. Yeah. <laughs> so historically, the West Side was still a lot of uh, little shanty towns and settlements while Fifth and Park Avenue were growing up. The West Side, except for Central Park West, was not really developed until the 1930s. Uh, there's a new building, relatively new building, on West 72nd Street, Harson House. It's, just, it's a small house. But you were talking about names earlier, Vince, and that is named after the small shanty town that was behind the Dakota that ran to the river in the low 70s, high 60s, called Harsonville. And they had their own schools, they had their own little houses, they had – which was basically demolished in the name of urban renewal. But this was in the early 1900s when the West Side started to move up. So it was a little behind everything. Yeah, but I think one of the things Let's let's hold the thought. We have to go to break. We will come right back and pick up on this one. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. What? Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. We're talking about Central Park West. We're talking about Park Avenue. We're talking about Fifth Avenue. Ivy, did you want to complete, complete your thought? Well, you know, I just want to say for the listening audience that they really, in terms of New Yorkers, one thing that's interesting that they may not know, and it would be funny just to go around the table really quick here. I'm talking really fast because we have so much to talk about. Um, people in New York City are generally East Siders or West Siders. Uptowners or downtowners. And I mean, like, once you're that, you are that. Very maybe much you'll so. move out of your thing, but once you're in every single section and up and down are so unbelievably different. And then within New York City, we probably have what would you guys venture to guess? 25 cities. I mean, each little oh, neighborhood yeah. is such a, you know, so people that haven't spent a lot of time in New York don't know the seriousness. Like, I'm a downtowner. And, you know, and I am. And I used, I grew up Upper West on the park. Now a new villager. Yeah, and now I'm a new right. villager. I just got a place right off Fifth Avenue on Ninth. Um, <laughs> Ivy, you'll probably just you'll, you'll probably the disagree. Gold Coast, with this. The Gold Coast, the Gold Coast. That's right. Oh, I'm so you'll happy. Uh, probably disagree with this somewhat. But when I first came to the city, a real estate agent said to me, <clears> "The city, when, in terms of where you live, it's like think of it as a clock. 
you start on the Upper East Side. And then you – because it's cheap, right? It's a little cheaper. So York and First Avenue, Far East. Far East. Not Madison and Park. Far East, I could make a sound, but I won't. And right. And then then you eventually are like, you know what? I want to be a little hip and cool. I've kind of done this. Now I'm making a little more money. Then you go downtown. And then you kind of hang out downtown. You're all cool going to all these cool clubs. And then – you meet the love of your life and you have a baby. And then where do you go? Upper the West. Upper West Side. Right. Now, obviously, this doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I see your clock. But, but wait, clock. if you remain a downtowner, if you remain a downtowner, where do you go when you meet your significant other and have a baby? You go to Tribeca. That's Tribeca. true. Because well, it is so hip and yeah. it's downtown and, and it's everything is there. very family friendly, space Oh, unbelievably Mormon. family friendly. But, it, you know, so if you were single and you moved there because it was the groovy section, right. you're getting the hell out because right. now there's baby bugs. Everywhere, and there's you know, I mean, so <laughs> All right, let, let, let's move okay, on. So, we're moving on. a world where 40 million dollars I mean, this is just I can't even believe I'm reading this. A world where 40 million dollars is the new normal asking price for luxury apartments in New York, it really makes you appreciate the little things. So, and by the little things, we mean this 248 square foot studio on Cornelia Street in the West Village, mm-hmm. uh, Ivy's new neighborhood, which is just so small. This tiny walk up, which was renovated since the owner bought it in uh, for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in twenty thirteen, just hit the market for four hundred ninety nine thousand dollars, <laughs> double what the owner paid for it. You could ask whatever Why? you want in any neighborhood, in any, and <laughs> right doesn't now mean you're you going can. to get it. Yeah. I want to see what it's going to close at because I, I actually just lost out on a large two-bedroom, two-bathroom, brand-new, uber, uber luxury um, condominium on the Upper West Side because I felt it was worth $3.2, $3.3 million. I pushed it, pushed it, pushed it because the seller wanted more, $3.5 million. It just came on – well, not just. It's been on the market six weeks with another broker for 4.3. Wow. You could ask yeah. whatever you want, but it's languishing. And let's see what happens on well, Cornelia Street. I'm guy. dying you know, to know. It's very interesting because yeah. I, we, we just – I just broke records on a studio. I don't want to say where it is yet because it hasn't closed. Contract that was signed, you know, broke square footage records for a studio that's tiny – that we were having – we first put on the market for rent. We were struggling kind of trying to get $2,500 per month for it, which is pretty standard and pretty normal uh, in this particular building in this neighborhood. So the seller, the, the owner decided, you know what, Vince, let's just put on the market for sale. So we put it on the market for sale. We put a price on it that I thought, well, this is really pretty aggressive. Uh, we we had first open house on a, on Sunday. So one day in the market, my partner Shane, you know, texted me. I was somewhere else doing another open house. He said, I think I sold the studio. I said, you did what? I said, okay, so what's the price? He said, full asking price, all <laughs> yeah, cash. beautiful. So, you know, at the end of the day is, Deborah, you're right with your comment. You can put any price you want on it. There's there's a lid for every pot or whatever the expression is. Someone is going to come in and say that's yep. way too yep. much money. I'm not doing it. Or someone's going to come in and say, you know what? I'm tired. I've looked around forever. Yep. Yeah. This meets that's the true. need. I'm going to do it. I'm still sort of like, wow. Well, yeah. you've got to also understand in these situations too, when something's listed at double the, the, the what they bought it for mm-hmm. two years later, what condition was it in when it was bought? So yeah. I actually have the listing description right. up right now and it says, this beautifully and sophisticated gut renovated, no expense spared renovation from wreck condition in okay. the heart of Greenwich, Greenwich Village is awaiting your decorating touches. So it's interesting to me because A, it's a co-op. 
So they bought it in wreck condition, meaning it was, it was terrible. Then they renovated it, which, you know, that generally happens in a condo where you're going <clears> to <throat> go in, renovate, and then flip it. Mm-hmm. So there, I'm curious as to the, the co-op rules in 22 Cornelia. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like they, they abided by them. And now they put it back on the market. And, and by, you know, I'll just read off a couple of the, uh, the descriptions here. Five-inch five plank oak floors, modern walnut cabinetry, um, silverstone countertops, you know, and, and the list goes on limestone floors, rainforest shower head, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Oh, perfect. And all that, that right. kind of renovation right. is, is kind of hitting the, right. the hot button right. for a lot of people, especially right. parents buying for children who want to live in the village. Um, that's all very important stuff. And then, you know, then you're going to ask double. Makes sense. Yeah. It probably yeah. will sell. Uh, absolutely. And yeah, I want to say one sell. thing very quickly is that one of the things that I am, am finding that's going on big time, and I myself would even like one, the, the small studios in incredible neighborhoods for foreign investors and even people that are lifetime New Yorkers and people that are first-time buyers, a lot of people are thinking about getting a house mm-hmm. out of the city. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are coming to New York City, and they used to want to buy larger spaces, but everybody wants a little pied-à-terre. And I know so many people that are now thinking of moving to New Paltz or Woodstock or wherever and getting a tiny, incredible place in the city. And for a long time, the tiny, incredible little places weren't there, and they're popping up more and more, and people are going to make so much money for them because I think they're going to hold their value especially with how they're designed too and this and this oh, totally you know and it, they they know what they're doing now they're not just you know slapping stuff together i mean the murphy beds already in this apartment is already there mm-hmm. so i mean it's literally so you cool. you walk in turn key right. you have a place out of the city in jersey you come in you have a you have a studio well, they, on cornelius they bought it for 300 they bought it for 300 right mm-hmm. and then they put say a hundred thousand dollars of renovations in that's 400 they're selling it for 500 in the last two years, the market's probably up 20%, yeah. right? So, I mean, yeah. all of a sudden, $500,000 so is only so crazy. It's not so crazy. It's only no. 20% more maybe once you put – once it's right. like a renovated apartment, yeah. you know? Thank you, right. statistic we, man, for uh, yeah. reality yeah. check. Yeah. You're right. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. We have a few more minutes left. I just want to get to this one last one. A city council bill debated. I, I kind of was mm, – Really deep in thought about this one on Sunday. A city council bill uh, debated last Wednesday actually got officials and other interest groups fired up about going green, okay, the city going green. The bill proposes capping internal and external lighting in about 40,000 commercial and residential buildings here in the city at night. The benefits are many, cutting down light pollution, conserving energy, saving money on electricity. Of course, all of the above is, is perfect. But the cons are compelling too. So my question is, what would the city's iconic skyline look like if it were much dimmer? Would it change the way New Yorkers see their own city or the way the rest of the world sees us? Remember, the rest of the world is sort of in awe of the Manhattan skyline. Please weigh in on this because as agents in New York City, I think it's going to have an impact. I think that I'll just go off saying that, yay, with all capital letters, I think that Across the globe, we would all serve best to begin to consider, put aside what it is we love, what it is we are, and begin to consider the future for our children. And one of the big things, go to the City of Lights in Paris, go to Rome, go to use New York City. If everybody started cutting off the city at 2 o'clock in the morning, when the majority of people aren't out looking at it anyway, do you want to know how much we would save pollution-wise, electric-wise, money-wise? So I am so for it. And I also see that, you know, there's a lot of strain 
on you know Con Ed and all of the utilities with Sandy and then the blackout that happened a couple of years ago uh, with power usage when it's a hundred degrees and it's humid and you know we're using everyone's using air conditioners so right you know on. I think I think that's a that's a great option and a lot of times are people in Japan looking at New York City in real time the images of New York with the the skyline and the light are already made and they're already etched across the globe right I mean yeah in twenty years that can make a difference but like, oh New York's a little bit dimmer but I mean I think right now being you know conscious of the environment is really important um, and I don't think it's going to have that big of an impact. All right, let's, let, let's end on this this one last bit of luxury uh, in, in trivia here in New York City. For many people, buying a private island hideaway is the ultimate dream. For example, Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison and Virgin Group chairman Richard Branson all have their own islands, but you don't necessarily have to be a billionaire to buy an island. Nearly a thousand islands come onto the marketplace each year and they vary greatly in size and in price. But most of them can be purchased for the price of a single luxury condo in New York City. <laughs> Go figure. And welcome to the world of luxury in New York City. So that's Good Morning New York for this week. We are back next Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific Time Live. You could always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thank you for being with us and have a great day. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.